podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of ESSR Central. My name is Scott McLeod and I'm here with my panel to break down all the latest happenings and goings on in the week uh, of wrestling. And we're going to be looking at some stuff related to NXT, AEW and some stories that have been breaking during the week. Uh, remember you can find this show every Thursday on our back catalogue on all good Android podcasting sites, uh, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to keep up with all that's going on with this show and all our other shows, like our feature show that goes out every Tuesday. We just had a show about the last two Blackpool takeovers from uh, a panel, most of whom were at least one of those takeovers. Next week, we've got the Greatest Rumble Moment show happening, and the following week, we'll be looking back one year on from Drew McIntyre winning the Royal Rumble. And we also got shows like Saturday Draft Live, East Meets West, and we got some shows on our YouTube channel at like the Conspiracy Theories, Quiz Showdown, and Book It. And joining me today for our panel, I've not had much time to think of creative intros. I've to say, it's my co-host from a couple of those shows that I mentioned. One of my co-hosts from Saturday Draft Live, David Hockney, and my co-host from East Meets West, Grammy Robbie Lads. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I was actually wondering, maybe have I have I just uh, blindly wandered into an East meets West recording here, given that you two are the only ones here. But you know, I'm just happy to be on and happy to talk about the 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 weekend wrestling. Yeah, I guess. Plenty for us to talk about what a busy week it's been. Mm-hmm. It certainly has, and I mentioned East meets West. There'll be a new episode of that going out on Sunday. It's uh, talking about obviously the biggest thing to happen uh, so far in the year, which is Wrestle Kingdom. And we're talking all about that. And we do talk a little bit in that about Jay White and his status with, with New Japan, obviously, because it's the New Japan show, so we had to talk about it. But we're going to talk about a little bit more here on this show, given this is also a show we're breaking the news. And the, the Jay White thing, we, t- we talked about on last week's Central, but I don't think we're any clearer into what his situation is with New Japan. Uh, there have been some tweets from very reliable sources talking about Potential that it does seem like him going to WWE is very likely. Like Russell was saying that uh, some people backstage have been speaking very highly of Jay White, and they used the phrase "it's game time." That was emphasised in this tweet, which I'm assuming that means some people backstage NXT have been talking up Jay White to to Triple H, and I think if he did go to WWE, he'd probably show up in NXT. And we also had the the Super Jcast tweeting out that. It was pretty much 50-50 at this stage, whether or not he goes to WWE or stays with New Japan. Now, Dave, I know uh, you're not as big a follower of New Japan as like myself or Grant, but I'm sure a name like Jay White is one that you would have heard of. Uh, as somebody who's also a fan of WWE and NXT in particular, does the idea of Jay White coming and showing up in NXT uh, interest you at all? And uh, then when you'd actually like to see him mix it up with if he did come to NXT? I think it'd be really good if he came to NXT, but he's obviously been, you know, classified as a big enough star over in, in New Japan in the same way that AJ Styles was. So, I mean, my initial thought was maybe he's going to do something similar to AJ in 2016 and possibly show up in the Royal Rumble. 
But I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of him going to NXT either. And I think he might actually be quite a strong opponent for someone like Karrion Cross, who, you know, is, you know, he's just come back from injury and he's just back to his dominant ways yet again. And I don't think there's any two ways about it that he's going to be NXT champion once again. So if there's to anyone that could possibly dethrone Karrion Cross, I think Jay White is certainly a good shout to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do you think that's where a lot of like the indie darlings tend to go at first when they come to WWE? You know, you've got your Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Timothy Thatcher's in there, mm-hmm. and you see Jay White like mix it up with those guys. I think it would be quite interesting. Also, an interaction with Finn Balor with that Bullet Club connection that they've got. Uh, Grant, do you think that Jay White's a big enough star that he can go the AJ route to uh, to come up and debut straight into the Rumble? I reckon he's got enough star power and enough performance in him to be able to go straight to the main roster, but I am willing to put money that he is staying in New Japan, especially when I've seen that New Japan Cup poster, which is apparently legit, showing him I'm calling it, he's staying. <laughs> yeah, I think he's 28 years old currently, and so I think there's definitely a lot of time for him to, to kind of stick around. Obviously, when we talked about it on uh, East Meets West at the time we were recording that, uh, we hadn't seen that poster, but yeah, the New Japan Cup has uh, been announced, and that's happening. And he, like you said, the poster appears in. And I was wondering to you, like when you sent me that, like, is this a case of like he actually is going to be in it, or is this a poster that they made some time in advance? Because you know, on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, whenever Conrad asked him about a, a poster for a pay per view, and they asked like, why is this guy on it? He's not even on the show, or why is this guy being featured so prominently? And they go like, oh, we have to make these posters like a long time in advance. That seems to be his go-to answer. But yeah, it does seem promising that he's going to stick around, but I still think there's all the time in the world for him to come to WWE at some point if he wants to. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's 28 years old. The world is his oyster right now. He's got so much more he could still do in Japan before he goes to WWE. Balor and Styles both waited until what, Styles was what, about 40 by the time he went to WWE and Balor was in his late 30s, so plenty mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, AJ is like 43 now, so he joined WWE when he was uh, 38, 39. Mm-hmm. I think also like the emphasis of the it's game time and the WrestleFloat Street means that uh, highlights that if he does go to WWE, NXT is his most likely route. And I know there are some who think, well, can we? why does everybody who comes in like from the Indies have to go through NXT first? But I think uh, we've seen a track record of like the, the NXT to then getting called up the main roster or guys coming in from outside. I think for most fans, especially those of Jay White, I think they would more trust them under the tutelage of, like, under the watch of Triple H, rather than going to the main roster. That having said, that I think AJ is one of the few exceptions. I think for the most part of the idea of somebody coming in from the outside, because at first people were very skeptical when AJ came in, but by the end of his, his first year in WWE, he was already in his first reign as WWE champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about New Japan. Like we were worried, Grant, about this whole idea of the state of emergency potentially happening in uh, Japan, but it looks like so far that not only are the shows that are planned to be happening, the New Beginning Tour and Castle Attack, but uh, it seems like new shows are now being announced, but the anniversary show on the 4th of March and the night following that right from the 5th all the way to the 21st, uh, the New Japan Cup is happening. And uh, apparently, like the main thing right now so far that that's really changed in Japan is the fact that they're having to start at least half an hour or an hour earlier, like in terms of when the doors open and the, the first bell starts to get under this new curfew when venues can be open till, which I think is a fair compromise to make to keep running shows, especially given that 
uh, I'm happy to see the, the New Japan Cup and anniversary shows are happening, Grant, because last time last year, those were the first big shows to get cancelled when all this started. We got robbed. We absolutely got <laughs> robbed of Nato against Hiromu. But this year I'm thinking we could potentially get Hiromu against Ibushi. That is terrifying to think of. Yeah, definitely. Obviously we'll be keeping a close eye on that for East Meets West. But going back to WWE and uh, seeing also some NXT talent, uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, who apparently has a role backstage and creative for SmackDown, has been pushing to get some NXT talent involved in SmackDown to help freshen things up. And he's also been making the push for some more underutilized talent, like so, uh, a Chad Gable who's been seen on TV with, with Otis. Uh, uh, Dave, what do you think of uh, this like story when you hear about the idea of Daniel Bryan pushing for more NXT and underutilized guys? And how much influence do you think Daniel Bryan actually has in his kind of role in creative of SmackDown? See, a few years ago, like when he started out, you know, he probably didn't have a lot of influence as he was just sort of getting used to the WWE format. But now that he's like a 10 plus year veteran of the company... Uh, and he's a, a widely respected talent amongst the locker room. You know, I think people are going to hear him out and say, uh, and they're going to take his word on a lot of things in the same way that Triple H has, uh, you know, saying, okay, these guys need to get more exposure. We don't, we can't just follow Vince's formula all the time. And he's been very vocal about, you know, even when he had his uh, his role as general manager of SmackDown back in the initial draft split happened, he was giving a lot of exposure, you know, to the, the women's division, to the tag teams. Like, he knows how to, you know, give enough screen time to every aspect of the roster. And now that he's incorporating more NXT talent involved, uh, you know, obviously being an NXT alumni himself, obviously, if it was the reality show format, but he realizes, you know, what it takes to make a, a top star. They're making that transition from full sale to uh, a wider audience of millions of viewers. It's I've got every faith that Daniel Bryan is in the right position of being, you know, working more of a part-time role, being as a, a booker and a creative aspect. And, you know, the, the world's their oyster when it comes to SmackDown, because think back to 2019 when most of the SmackDown roster got stranded in, in Jeddah after mm-hmm. Super Showdown. The, the way they made the show better... Throw, just throw a bunch of NXT stars on it, and it was the most watched <laughs> SmackDown that year. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, I remember, remember back earlier in the year when everything was at the Porn Center, there was a lot more crossing over between brands because they were all basically in the same building. And, and in some ways, it made shows entertaining, especially with Sasha and Billy going to all the brands. But uh, I don't know if it's really a coincidence that Daniel Bryan's been pushing for some underutilized talent to uh, get more of a showcase. And then, like, a week later, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura suddenly has like a splendid performance in that gauntlet match to determine the next challenger for Roman. You know, uh, a showing that, that made a lot of people think, like, see, this is the Nakamura we were hoping for when he came to WWE. Yeah, that run in the gauntlet match very reminiscent of the like the Seth Rollins run previously. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, this is one of those things again. You you take all the rumours with a pinch of salt, but apparently the big difference was that Brian got the big sort of push to help creative and SmackDown. It was Edge and Raw, but apparently Brian was very much he wanted to learn everything. He showed that he was like at everything. Like show me what happens here. He got really involved, and I think that shows in the SmackDown product. Whereas apparently Edge takes a bit more of a back seat, mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder. Well, Brian's working with a shorter show. What could Brian do if he was given the full three hours of Raw? Because sometimes that can be a slog. I think he could turn that around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, I think looking at, we're going to be talking about NXT and AW, they've got some hip, great stuff happening right now, and SmackDown seems to be firing all cylinders, and it just makes like the kind of poor quality of Raw the last 
a few months kind of stand out even more by comparison. And obviously Nakamura, which didn't win that gauntlet match, he instead he came down to him and the final entrant, Adam Pierce, who's kind of put into the match by Paul Heyman, and thanks to interference from Jey Uso and Jey Uso and Roman Reigns, Adam Pierce now is a title shot against Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble. Kind of at left field, I mean Adam Pierce was a wrestler, former NWA World Champion back in the day. Uh, I say the day it was in the twenty ten, but he was he is a former wrestler, hasn't wrestled in quite a while. We'd take more of a backstage role in WWE, but could be interested in what they're going for. You know, we've got Paul Heyman involved too. Apparently, whoever he manages, he takes over their kind of creative, which probably explains how good, why Roman stuff's been so good since he became the tribal chief. But you know, I think it's fair to say that Roman's feuds have now been more story-based, more than just the actual matches themselves, even though the matches he's been having are good. So I think with Paul Heyman being involved in Roman's record so far the last couple of months, are you cautiously optimistic? Or I think you were kind of, Taking it back at first when Nakamura didn't win the gauntlet, that was when I saw your immediate reactions in our group chat. Mm. Yeah, that that was more of a. I've said before on Saturday Draft Live, you know, that was an instinctive reaction on my part, but it actually painted Nakamura in a very good light. And now that he's getting another match with Jey Uso this coming Friday on SmackDown, it's it's putting that spotlight more and more towards him now. So I'm very optimistic that Nakamura is finally getting that push that's been that's eluded him for almost three years now. With the Roman Reigns-Adam Pearce situation, I actually think back to the Roman Reigns-Jey Uso uh, match that was announced for Night of Champions. And, like, I wasn't too keen on the idea at first because, you know, oh, it's obviously Roman Reigns is going to win this because, you know, it's it, it, it doesn't it didn't seem like that a credible challenge given that this would have been Jey Uso's, like, first singles match in God knows how long. So... But the, the thing that made it magic was the storytelling, you know, Roman's portrayal of the tribal chief. And I think he could easily do the same with Adam Pearce. You know, instead of getting in the face of his family now, he's actually getting the face of an authoritative figure. And normally that's what a face, is, face does against a heel. But now it's sort of flipped reverse. You've got a, a heelish champion going up against a sort of face-ish authority figure. And the, the storytelling, the mic work, especially with Paul Heyman at the helm, I'm actually very optimistic about what they could could do with this, even though it doesn't scream, you know, match of the year candidate. Mm-hmm. I think with the, with the Rumble, they tend to kind of just throw some together for the world title matches because they know that the Rumble matches kind of sell the pay per view it, itself and like what that means for Mania. So it's very rare that the champion will actually lose. So I think this also being a one off. You can tell a decent story in the next couple of weeks. And put on a decent show. Because I remind people like Adam Pierce is not just a guy in a suit who pops up to break up fights every now and then. He's a he was a wrestler, and what this means, yeah, we were talking about with the match for with you. So we were all talking to our group chat. We're all speculating. What does this mean for Nakamura? It's just the start of a prolonged bit of a push. But Nakamura is a singles guy now outside of his team with Cesaro, and like talking about Seth Rollins' gauntlet performance. I spit a lot of people in mind of Kofi Kingston's performance in 2019 and then got the match a while before and then that led to the push to Wrestlemania and an idea of Nakamura going to Wrestlemania and a, as a potential universal title challenger with Paul Heyman kind of directing the creative I mean yes please Yeah I think that's a great idea because I mean like to me I would I ideally my, my idea would be to go with Keith Lee winning the Rumble to go against Drew at Mania and have Nakamura have this kind of build up and getting to the, that event with Roman through a different method rather than winning the Rumble. And 
the storytelling over the next few months could really make it huge. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, anything could really happen, you know. I mean, we saw all those potential suggestions that were being rumoured for Roman. There was Goldberg, there was Daniel Bryan, Big E. And like, I like the idea of Nakamura being the one to face him because it's kind of come out of nowhere. And Dave, you remember me and you, I think you were on the show, I remember being on the 2019 Rumble preview show and we were all talking, none of us could think for life of who could fight Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania for the mm-hmm. WWE title. And then it just was how out of nowhere uh, the Kofi Kingston thing was. And I think it's kind of reboot. And it's almost, it's actually quite nice now, us who like report, we talk about things that are being reported and looking up rumours. Sometimes nice when a good story kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the rumors were saying like Kevin Owens would be the one to challenge him, but even like by the he didn't even t- return to the Rumble, so we thought, okay, maybe that's out the question. But so yeah, it's 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 really good, you know, when a story or a superstar just sort of develops out of nowhere and people just invest in it. That's why the Kofi Mania story just uh, was one of the most talked about things that year, and it was such a big payoff when he did eventually win. Although, not to be. Uh, not wanting to be cynical or playing devil's advocate here, but I am starting to notice a pattern come WrestleMania season now, because this would have been, the this will be the third year in a row where a superstar who's often overlooked, oh no, sorry, it won't be the third, it'll be the third time overall where around WrestleMania season, a gauntlet match is used to elevate another superstar and put them back into the main event picture just in time for WrestleMania. So it almost seems like a, uh, it seems like a repetitive pattern that WWE has now gotten into. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not really complaining because I think Nakamura has been wasted for years and it's good to see him finally, possibly, getting another singles push. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can see where, again, it's always nice to have another like view of things, but I think some people are willing to hey, forgive things like this if it involves somebody who they think should be getting more opportunities involved than getting an opportunity like a Nakamura and like Kofi was two years ago, so I think that's why people are so optimistic about it. Uh, and keeping with SmackDown, I don't know if you guys have you guys seen Paul Heyman on Talking Smack and his interaction with Apollo Crews? Uh, this was after the Intercontinental Championship uh, match on SmackDown. I think there was some frustration on Apollo's part that he thought he'd won the title because of the double pinfall. Uh, but this is what I've seen with Paul Heyman as well. He's actually bringing out the best in quite a few superstars he's getting he's really digging deep into their core and bringing out that passion that they linger for so much but they just can't deliver in their own promos uh, that's something that paul Heyman is really really good at because there i remember there was a talking smack segment with big e a few weeks prior and he was saying like uh you know look at roman reigns now he's this big star but when was the last time anybody mentioned the shield and, but in the context of Big E, it's like, when's the last time somebody mentioned Big E on his own without referencing the New Day? And I think this is what sort of is, this this will enable Big E to stand out more as a single star now that he's won the Intercontinental title. Because the more he sort of distances himself from the New Day, this is, it's only going to help him more in the long run. But that's not to dismiss the New Day entirely, you know, because it was a big part of his career. But if they are adamant on pushing him as a single star, this is the sort of thing he needs to be more involved in. And the same could be said for Apollo Crews. Mm-hmm. And like, every now and then these clips keep popping up of Paul Heyman on Tilton Smack. You know, this clip with Apollo on talking about the clip you mentioned with Big E was one where Kayla Braxton was on and she's like, I can't be dealing with you. And he's like, can someone get Renee Young on the phone? And uh, <laughs> like, it just reminded me, like, geez, remember when Talking Smack actually was the best was like being talked about this way every week, like yeah. back in 2016, 17, even when SmackDown was good, 
more people were talking about what was happening on Tottenham's Matt because you no know, guys were getting to come on properly speak their mind. You had Daniel Bryan's a co-host giving like zero fucks about what he said about people on the show. Like he didn't care about calling AJ Styles a flat earther or whatever he said. <laughs> but like seeing this clip then Grant like I think the biggest complaint about Apollo Crews has recently been like uh, that he just smiles a lot. He's a good wrestler, but he's got no character other than just the guy who smiles. But you watch this clip, he's properly seething at what Paul Heyman said, even though he probably knows that deep down it's true. And I think this leading to an actual heel turn for Cruz, I think it actually makes people actually interested in what happens with Apollo going forward. Yeah, I mean, Apollo is, he, he is first and foremost, he's a powerhouse. He's built like mm-hmm. a house, and he's never really had a chance to properly showcase that in the main roster but his indies stuff before he joined WWE when he was Yuha Nation it was, it was outstanding and you know yeah the personality bit has been what's been kind of lost he's, there's no way I can fault his in-ring ability but yeah the, the character has just been kind of bland and needs mm-hmm. something like this to pour into yeah, definitely. And, you know, see, we talk about all these great things that are happening on SmackDown. Unfortunately, we must have balance and uh, go over to Monday Night Raw. And the main thing people are talking about with Raw is the fact that Goldberg is not challenging Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. He's challenging Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. And despite Drew recently this week saying that he's been tested positive for COVID, he wasn't on Raw, uh, but he did in a, uh, from his own home, he did a video where he accepted Goldberg's challenge. And I think is two weeks from until the rumble. So if Drew does his self isolation and like gets tested before the rumble that he's got the all clear, then it looks like the match will be going ahead as planned. But apparently there was a bit of a timing issue on the site on the end of Legends night where Goldberg like interrupted Drew. He apparently Drew was making a promo talking about thanking all the legends and being respectful. But then Goldberg was making come out and say the things he said like, No, you really think this about the legends, you think they're all has-beens and you think you're better than every one of them. But apparently there was a bit of a time issue where they thought, okay, we need you guys to go out there and ad-lib something, but to basically get to the same accomplishment as uh, setting up the match for the Rumble. Apparently Goldberg just went out there and said what he was meant to say, which made it a lot more confusing because Drew hadn't said anything about the legend. So then Drew just ad-libbed the whole line of, I can't fight you, it'd be like fighting my dad. <laughs> and well, then with Goldberg just petulantly just shoving him on his ass. Uh, uh, I don't know about you guys. I couldn't give two fucks about seeing Goldberg in a WWE title match. So unless it, unless it involves Drew countering a spear attempt with a claymore and kicking his head off, that'd be that I'd see. Uh, cause this was so stupid, like the way it came about. But I suppose you could could put that partly down to time constraints. You know, Drew wasn't able to get a few minutes to cut his promo, and Goldberg just sort of came out spontaneously. But I I would have rather seen a couple more minutes of Drew versus Keith Lee that night because it was just such an outstandingly good match. And I think, obviously, you know, nobody was a really a fan of Goldberg given what happened last year in Saudi Arabia when he dethroned The Fiend. So it's... Uh, and the fact that, you know, Roman's, you know, been rumoured to have said he doesn't want to face Goldberg. I don't know if this puts Drew in a, a better or worse position because people are saying, you know, maybe he could just easily you know, Claymore, Goldberg, and then successfully retain? Or are we just going to see a repeat of what happened at Super Showdown, which I really hope that isn't the case. But what what else is there for Goldberg to do except, you know, carry the title for into WrestleMania, not defend it, and then lose it to whoever he faces? It's, it's, 
It's just the same thing over and over again. It only it only do more damage to Drew if he ends up losing. There's yeah. a much better match that could have been built, and it's all built on Twitter. And instead of that, if we're going to use some old person fighting someone, you know what? Let's just get Trump against Mick Foley for that Hall of Fame spot. That's much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great example, by the way. Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame ring on a pole match. You know, your Hall of Fame thing, and if you can get it, you stay in the Hall of Fame. That would be much better than watching Oldberg or if you want to call him a Roy Dutton Gilberg. <laughs> but uh, I know we're going to be talking about Dave on the, uh, the Drew One Year On uh, show because I think that'll be coming out right before uh, the Rumble, so I'm sure mm-hmm. this uh, match with Gober will be a talk- topic of discussion. But uh, part of me thinks that, you know, a lot of fans, when the comes, Rumble comes around, they have a bit of fear that WWE won't give them the winner that they want. So I'm wondering, a uh, weird conspiracy theory, you know, I should be joining David Campbell and his show with this theory, but I'm wondering if WWE are trying to divert people like fear about who might win the Rumble. Uh, it might not be somebody that they want by moving you over like, no, you should be fearing that the fact that Goldberg might win the title. That's what you should be worried about. And if you actually look at Goldberg, he's been appearing on and off since 2016. And like, he's lost to Lesnar. He's lost to Taker. These guys are part-timers. He's not lost to anybody full-time yet. He's lost to Braun Strowman. Uh, oh shit! Yeah, sorry, has never mind. I was gonna say like you really should probably lose any people like still so, 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 even though the Ziggler one was quite hilarious. Oh, Zig- the Ziggler one was the best. Like, getting speared about four times and Ziggler sells it so brilliantly. It looked like he actually legitimately gets snapped in half. And Ziggler just keeps getting back up like the Black Knight from Mighty Five. Like, there's a flesh wound. And he gets <laughs> back up. One spear uh, from its limb. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> running away, eh? You yellow <laughs> bastard. <laughs> but you should be losing to more than just one like full-time wrestler in four years. Uh, or uh, it's going on four years as part of WWE's part-timer so I think Drew more than Bray or Kevin Owens I think WWE has more belief in, in Drew Manter he's more I think he's seen on a higher plane than Kevin Owens or, Drew, or Bray Wyatt were even though they were champions so mm-hmm. I think you can have a bit more faith in Drew winning but I do get why people are nervous it's because Goldberg does have a track record in these types of situations I mean, mm-hmm. you're saying about Braun Strowman being full time, but let's face it: if you look at the draft scores for the goat, he's not really <laughs> been that full time. You know, I'm pretty sure it was meant to be Braun in this position. Like, I think you were in TLC. They thought, oh, we'll push it back to the Rumble. He's injured, and now he's he's not back. I don't know how serious his injury is. You know, he could always pop in for like a Rumble appearance, but it doesn't look like we're going to see Braun Strowman this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, the suspension was to write him off as well, but. That's a shame, though, because I would have happy to see Drew face Braun Strowman and even, to an extent, Sheamus if they'd gone with the Sheamus yeah. heel turn. Yeah, because I mentioned on Saturday Night it seemed like so obvious they were building a Sheamus match because, you know, he and Drew were like pals that nobody else trusted Sheamus. And I thought eventually, right after the Keith Lee match, Sheamus would turn on Drew because it was Keith Lee that beat uh, Sheamus to get this title shot. But mm. no, he's just been shoved aside in favour of Goldberg, so I feel bad for Sheamus, you know. Aye. But also talking about Raw, also given that Drew wasn't on the show, he was meant to fight Randy Orton in the main event, and also his promo that he cut on Goldberg was meant to be like in the arena. So obviously Raw had to be quickly rewritten in like hours before the show, and it's no surprise that they kind of had to went, oh look, Triple H is going to be on the show, and mm-hmm. uh, Triple H had his first match uh, since Super Showdown 2019, I think it was, yeah, uh, where he fought. 
Randy Orton on Super Showdown, and his first match since then on Raw, he fought Randy Orton. Where do they get their ideas? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a fun fact that came out. Uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but 2020 has been the first full calendar year since like the mid 90s where Triple H hasn't wrestled a single match. Yeah, I forgot that match we were on in Super Showdown even happened. I assumed that he hadn't wrestled since the uh, since the Batista match at WrestleMania 35. I forgot the Saudi Arabia that even happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his second match that year. Oh, no, it was sorry, it was the. I can't remember if it was the one, but was Super Showdown after or before Mania 35? No, that one, that one, that 2019 one was after, because that was also the one with the Goldberg-Taker match. You know, the... Oh, God, yeah, I remember. Really bad one. But, so, they, they did that. They had Triple H get involved, and, and it basically be, ends up being the show where everybody has to work twice. You know, Keith Lee and Sheamus team together to win a match, and then they, before they face each other, and then Matt Riddle wrestled twice, and just basically felt like everybody was pulling trouble too because they were running out of ideas as to what to do now that they didn't have Drew on the show. Uh, yeah, totally. Groundhog Day with it. And like, like thinking of like Triple H, two moments really stand out at the end of that. One, oh, how the hell did my sledgehammer get on the fire? Hmm. That's kind of fun. <laughs> That's kind of weird. That never happens. And second, when did Alexa Bliss play enough Street Fighter that she learned how to do a real life Hadouken? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? As a gamer, Grant, I appreciate that reference. <laughs> I do love like the slow like moving up of the the sledgehammer and suddenly realizing it's on fire. Just like I know we shouldn't question it because like looks of this is becoming more supernatural now with their relationship with the fiend. But like, how do you set someone's sledgehammer on fire while they're holding it without them noticing? It's just <laughs> magic. <laughs> yes, magic. Yeah. Uh... Honestly, one of Orton's best feuds in a while is, is with Alexa Bliss, and I doubt they'll even have a match. Uh, but I was be... twisted three count boom. <laughs> I just wonder when the the fiends are actually going to come back because, like, I know they set them on fire and all that, and that's maybe write them off. But you know, yeah, I thought he'd be back, but maybe they'd have a rematch at the Rumble. But maybe maybe Bray Wyatt will pop up in the actual Rumble match itself. I want. Bray Wyatt to do a Mick Foley, you know, show up as Funhouse Bray, get quickly eliminated, come back out at like number 30 as The Fiend. Oh, that that might, yeah, that's not, not a bad shout. You know, The Fiend comes out of nowhere, eliminates Randy Orton, disappears, and then Bray Wyatt comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mentioned, you know, like, and also like, maybe some people would argue he gets and had The Fiend out of Rumble if he's not good at was, but like, he's just getting like thrown over the top rope, you know, that's, been, that's more protected than taking a pin or something like that. So, you know, it could happen. Mm-hmm. But we're going to give our, talk about our last news story before going on to the, the, the Wednesday night shows like NXT and AEW uh, because we have the Superstar Spectacle happening, I, which I believe is going to happen at the end of January. I think January 26th, that's a special day in India. And it may be the launch of NXT India that's been rumoured for a while, you know, at least it's likely to be the official launch. No actual word of like who's going to be involved. You know, it is apparently retaped in the US, not in India. But I think given that the very brothers band sit around Indian wrestlers, David, a scale of one to ten with one being not at all, and ten being more than you could possibly imagine. How excited <laughs> you for main event Jinder Mahal 2.0? Oh my gosh, yeah, I had a feeling he was going to pop up again but you know what he's been away for some time obviously he's been dealing with a few like knee injuries and stuff i think he would be the ideal person 
to be leading NXT India forward if that is the plan to go ahead with it. Like the superstar spectacle, you know, it's obviously got the Indian flag branding on it and stuff. And there have been talks of, uh, you know, hopefully launching that new brand forward. I mean, I can't think, I honestly can't think of anyone better than Jinder Mahal to lead it. And I imagine Great Kali will probably act as some sort of global ambassador for it as well, because he is massively popular with uh, an Indian audience. Uh, I'm just trying to think, you know, there's, who else could you have in there? But like, there was a Indu share as well. You know, they haven't really made much presence on normal NXT. Maybe they're saving them for this particular, uh, this particular show. But I'm I'm curious as to see where it goes and obviously looking forward to the new talent that's going to get introduced because, you know, the, the Bollywood boys make, it appear, make, make an appearance too and they've already been advertised for the Dusty Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it makes sense that if you're going to put anybody like the first champion of this new uh, India brand, then it would probably would be gender, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be twice the else to get in. I don't think they have that many like Indian born right, wrestlers on their, their roster at the minute. And like the idea of trying to get outside talent, especially given the state of the world right now would be I think quite difficult for them you know I remember before I read into that was related to the NXT India brand I just saw because of the you look at the style of the the, the writing and then the way they've called it like the round superstar spectacle I just I just thought it looked like like what they'd call the next Saudi Arabia show because like, when you think of that type of name with that alliteration it goes up there with which was like a super showdown or a crown jewel mm-hmm. so yeah, it fits that kind of mould I think with the name so I thought it was another Saudi show but you know, then it found out it was actually to do with the NXT India brand. Uh, right, this seems to be kind of the part of this big new global takeover of the NXT because we've got NXT, NXT UK, this, and there were rumors of NXT Japan, but now apparently they're going to do an NXT Asia at some point in the future where they're going to get people from wrestlers in from Japan, China, and other other places in Asia. And I found I think that's a wise decision because just going with NXT Japan and having WWE basically competing with talent, competing for talent with, like, New Japan, Stardom, and the other pros in Japan, I think would be a, a very difficult battle compared to where they came in and tried to take guys from the UK independent scene. Yeah, definitely a wiser move. Like, um, NXT India kind of came as a big surprise to me, but I'm going to call it, you? Ryan Gallagher, you big shite bag. Dare you to go and draft in this year, next draft season. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely think uh, NXT Asia, because... When I think of Japan, there's no way they're going to be able to compete with DDP, um, DDT, sorry, Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, Stardom, Ice Ribbon, New Japan, Big Japan, a- a- APJW. There's just two, oh, sorry, AJPW. There's so many promotions out there and they are fiercely loyal. So mm-hmm. they wouldn't stand a chance muscling in over there. They've tried to buy over a few and they've been told where to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently they were trying to buy, there were rumours of them trying to buy Pro Wrestling Noah. That didn't quite work out. Uh, I think the idea of like being called NXT Asia means you include wrestlers from like Singapore, China, South Korea, and like you've got a bigger market to appeal to and more talent to look out that people probably haven't heard about before. And like cause apparently the, the scene in China has apparently been growing over the last couple of years, especially like with OWE, they had that partnership with AEW, and so also the scene over there is clearly growing and WWE's clearly trying to capitalize on it. Mm. And they've got, uh, they've obviously got like Zia Lee and Boa in NXT as well. So yeah. they've got representation from China on their own brand as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm calling it have a pay per view within two years and it'll be called the Siberian Slobber Knocker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like a, bit, a bit collision in Korea will be uh, 
it'll have a run for its money there. <laughs> oh, they're going to do that again. They're going to do another collision to your same font, but with them, they just include South Korea just in small letters just in the middle. <laughs> but we'll move on to NXT. Speaking of Zaylee, because she featured, uh, or we appeared on NXT uh, after these weeks of these weird vignettes of basically looks like selling out of Hostel with her and Boa basically being tortured before coming about in this new kind of re-debut with this masked figure looking something like the Emperor from Star Wars sitting at the end of the ramp watching <laughs> on this side. is like, good, that's your hatred flow. And Xylee <laughs> quickly uh, got this victory. I mean, I hadn't really thought much of Xylee or Boa like, before this, but, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued now. Mm. Like, Boa hasn't really been featured that much on NXT. I think he was part of the the breakout tournament uh yeah. which was won by well i think cameron grimes got the fight i think it was ach that won it but then got his title shot and then basically left after that whole controversial like t-shirt angle and stuff it was uh yeah best not think about it too much but i think it's good that Bo and zaya lee have actually had this reinvention because you know zaya was very good a very good sort of undercard talent you know she would a really captivating entrance and, you know, a solid in-ring worker just never got that big break until now. You know, she's come across as, as more vicious in the ring. You know, she's got that insane striking ability. And now that she's got uh, more of a character to her, uh, you know, with this person in the chair who's leading her and Boa, it's, uh, it's good that it gives her direction now in what's already a very crowded NXT women's division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it was uh, Boa lost in the first round to Jordan Miles, uh, also ACH. So he lost in the first round to the winner of the tournament. And Zaylee, we'd seen her in like Battle Royals or like in the Mae Young Classic. So they're kind of used to make up the numbers, but now they're actually, they took their time and finally they're giving them their, their own character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen a couple of people in Damien Priest and Rhea Ripley competing on the show. You know, uh, Priest lost to Karrion Cross in a match that I thought went far too long. Personally, if you're going to, for Cross's first match back, he should have just like, ran through Damien Priest. Because, like, you know, like, you put this guy over Tomaso Champa so, like, dominantly, but he can't do the same when he's against Damien Priest. Like, it confused me. And then you had Rhea Ripley losing in that last woman's standing match to uh, Gonzalez. And I think a lot of people, have been, there's been rumours that these two are getting called up, Damien Rosson. In fact, they both lost in this show, which is being treated like a big deal like this. Not a regular weekend, so it made me feel kind of like a takeover. And they both lost. It kind of feels like this is like the whole just like your final match, you go out, lose, and to help build someone else up before mm-hmm. they eventually get called up to the main roster themselves. I mean, what a way for Rhea Ripley to be written off if that is the case if she's moving to Raw or SmackDown. Because we have said on previous shows, she's been rumoured to possibly be a, a winner of the Women's Royal Rumble. And I'd be happy to see that because... You know, she's just made her way up through the rankings, starting off at NXT UK, then NXT US. She deserves that bigger stage, given that she had a, a prominent title match at WrestleMania last year. And she's only got, she's got like a very, very long way, uh, you know, to achieve so much more. So, but at the same time, it puts over Raquel Gonzalez in a massive way. It established her, establishes her as the powerhouse woman of NXT now, and it puts her in even big, greater contention to challenge Io Shirai for the NXT Women's Title, who's been sort of been sort of laying low for the past few weeks. But yeah, mm-hmm. this was definitely more. Ben- I think this was beneficial to the both of them 
in that you know it gives it puts Ray in a position to be uh, in front of a bigger audience, and it puts Raquel in a better position to be the the alpha female of NXT. Yeah, it's strange because she got the win over EO at War Games and then got this match here. So it seems like, oh, with the next takeover, it should be her versus EO. But mm-hmm. it seems like actually on TV when you watch it that uh, Mercedes Martinez is actually being billed as the next challenger for EO. You know, I'd like to see Martinez and Gonzalez go at it for a more contendership rather than Gonzalez basically having to wait aside for now until like after takeover. This is what's good about the NXT women's division. You know, it keeps you guessing, like, which way are they going to go? Because you've got Raquel Gonzalez, Mercedes Martinez, Tony Storm, Ember Moon, Candice LeRae, Shotzi Blackheart. Like, the ends, the list is endless. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, as I mentioned, like, the idea of a call-up, you know, Damon Priest was rumoured to be going up as Kevin Owens' pal on SmackDown, and even apparently Kevin Owens thought that was a bit unbelievable. And now it's been, that's been cancelled. But apparently he is still scheduled to be called up, but now to Raw. Like, what did you think of his match against uh, Cross? Do you think it was a good way for him to go out kind of losing to Cross on his return? And how do you think that a uh, Damian Priest kind of character will translate to the main roster? I think the match itself was actually really good and I think the length was appropriate because if you crushed Damian Priest too quickly to Cross, then how am I meant to buy into Priest as a threat coming up to the main roster? Mm-hmm. Um, and plus Priest being like a, like a former North American champion, stuff like that. It just to me, it felt if it, if that's his like sort of like last hurrah in NXT, it's to me overall a very mixed bag. Like he had a kind of slow start, but he made a lot of traction over the last few months. Had uh, some fantastic matches, especially his feud with Gargano and Rough. Um, in the main roster, definitely didn't put him in a tag team. He's <laughs> he's not against tag wrestling. He's just he's he's quite big. He's not massive, but there's something about him. He does have the right. I think if they just let him sort of go into like a mid card feud, like put him in against for like the US title or something like that, it it could potentially be a, a good a good one for him. Yeah, because like with Damian Priest, I think it took a lot while for a lot of people to really get like what his character was maybe you know the whole Archer of Infamy Infamy thing. I think if he goes up to the main roster, and they have to re-explain what he's meant to be. Uh, I don't think the main roster will take the time as NXT have. Because we've seen how quickly people can be like, oh look, he's a new guy, isn't he? So cool to, oh, he's a main event now. Or, oh look, he's popped up in a 24-7 title segment. Or, he's wearing a funny mask it's called T-Bar. You know? <laughs> Stuff like mm-hmm. that. Or as Sammy Guevara called him on Twitter this week, T-Bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. And, you know, going back to the, the women's match, you know, my favourite spot of that was Dakota Kai getting involved and then getting shoved in the locker with then that crate getting pushed in front of it. Mm. And, you know, we never saw Gonzalez go back to help her, so we can only assume that, you know, Dakota's still in there. And open and shut oh. off to the NXT is just going to be her still in the lock, like, hello? Is anyone there? That was there? answered. See, this is a, a, weird, uh, a weird turn of events as well, because it was actually Dakota that introduced Raquel as our sort of, you know, hired, our hired muscle all those years, all those... I think it was last year she was introduced, but now it's sort of like Roloverso Gonzalez is the main star, and uh, Dakota is just sort of the, the the idiot lackey trying to help her out, which is quite uh quite interesting to say the least. You know the fact that you know the hired helps now become the bigger star. Yeah, yeah, because they had a February takeover last year 
and that was the street fight between Kai and Tegan Knox. And at the end, uh, Gonzalez appeared to help Kai win the match. So yeah, it's just come up on a year that Gonzalez has been with her, and yeah, you can already see kind of the development. It's very much a it does seem like a Sean Diesel situation here. Aye, the vision and the way that she's come along and seemingly being eye for like her own push. And instead of a jackknife, she does a one-armed powerbomb instead. I mean, it's still quite impressive. I mean, you've seen the way she put, like, uh, Rhea, like, through the, the stage at the end. Oh, and... what a spot. Like, like I said, if there's any way to write off Rhea Ripley, it's to literally powerbomb her through a stage. And I honestly think, don't think they should show her, maybe show her once or twice on XT if you want, but don't show her on the main roster until the Rumble if she is going to show up and win it, because I think that if we haven't seen her, then her music hit, and that will create more of a reaction. Obviously, no, with nobody in the rear, but if you're watching at home, it'll get a reaction. You know, kind of like Shayna Baszler, you know, everybody wants her to pop up last year's Rumble. She didn't, like, appear or draw a SmackDown. She stayed in NXT, but then showed up at number 30, and we were all happy about it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, you know, I think she could still show up in the Rumble. You know, maybe Damien Priest will show up in the men's Rumble. It's a surprise. We never know. But, Grant, we'll move on to the, one of two big title matches on New Year's Evil was the Cruiserweight title being defended by Santos Escobar against Grand Metalik with Lindsay Dorado dressed like a Megazord in his corner. And it does feel like, you know, which House Party, they were on Raw, which I forgot about until Big Joseph reminded me. But, like, the certain Cruiserweight wrestlers like Lucha House Party don't really get to do that much on the main roster, but somehow they come to NXT and with matches like this, you get to see what they're, gonna, what they're actually capable of. Yeah, it shows you the problem with like cruiserweights on the main roster compared to like getting their, their chance in NXT main roster. Really, if anything, you'd expect them to let them high fly more in the main roster. You want a bit of spectacle, but instead, they're almost relegated to a joke there. But, you know, in, in NXT, they are given some credibility. Although I still think that like the cruiserweights still need more time. Like, they, like what? When's the last time that belt got defended? Mm-hmm. I can't remember other than, other than the one they just done there. It's been a while. I, I can forget it exists at times. It was, uh, I think it was against Isaiah Swerve at TakeOver 31. So there you go, you know, like, like they made a big deal about it. Oh, it's the first time it's been defended on a TakeOver, but then it's not getting defended like long after. And I think Escobar and he, his group have been appearing on 205 Live, but there isn't that much crossover between the two. Like, the 205 Live stuff isn't really referenced on NXT. And, Watching this match, I forgot, like, oh yeah, I remember Metalik was putting on matches like this all the time in the, the Cruiserweight Classic, he got to the finals against TJP, but again, the way he's been booked on the main roster, he's begun for forgetting that, and also, those was actually the first of two Cruiserweight matches this week, because on XT UK, I don't know if anyone's watched it, but uh, Ben Carter made his debut and got a title shot against Jordan Devlin, and I would seek that match out, because it's a, it's a hell of a match, I can see why there was all this hype about Ben Carter coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, what were your thoughts of uh, Metalik versus Escobar? Uh, to be honest, I haven't really been paying much attention to this uh, this program because the Cruiserweight Championship hasn't really had much attention, you know, compared to last year when it had when we had that outstanding feud between Leo Rush uh, and Angel Garza. Like that was the most I've been invested in the Cruiserweight division slash two hundred five live ever since. Uh, ever since recently, like obviously when the pandemic hit, you know, you had Jordan Devlin pick up the title, take it to NXT UK. And then there was that whole debacle about, you know, Escobar getting the title and now he's brought in Legado del Fantasma. I just haven't been as invested as I was 
this time last year. And I don't know if that's because, you know, they're, they're sort of isolating the cruiserweight division on 205 Live. They need to be, I think they need to be featured more on NXT, like, like as you said there. Because, I mean, who's to say, you know, they can't have a thriving cruiserweight division in the same way they've got such a big thriving women's division at the same time. Their tag team division as well is looking pretty loaded too with the with 16 teams now announced in the Dusty Cup. Two of which are, or at least a few of them at least, are often featured on 205 Live. You've got the Bollywood Boys, you've got Kurt Stallion and uh, Austin Gray, I think his name is. And then, obviously, Legato Del Fantasma themselves are going to be competing in the tournament. So it all integrates really, really well. And I just wish they'd just give it a bit more time and effort. Yeah, definitely. And we're on to the other big title match, the main event of New Year's Evil. Uh, the rematch of the match from Mittagor 31, the match that the week before got uh, voted a 2020 match of the year. So there was also big expectations on this rematch. Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly in a NXT Championship. And this time around, they kind of switched it about with, uh, with Kyle O'Reilly being the one with the jaw injury because he, he bit on the rope to get over an abdominal stretch. But as soon as Finn let it go, he kicked the rope. And then that was, he just kept going after it during the match. But then he had Kyle O'Reilly being all technical and getting the, uh, the arm bar. And like Finn Balor like, got cut open. I can't remember. See, I don't remember seeing spot how it happened, but right at the end, you could see the blood dripping his face, and he looked quite angry about it. Mm. And like, the way he won with that submission, it looked a lot like uh, the brutalizer that Pac uses in AEW. And I don't know about you guys, but I think with the current iteration of Finn Balor, I think maybe we should save the choreograph for like uh, like certain occasions. And I think actually think of it using the 1960 and keeping a putting a like a new submission to his arsenal. I don't know about you. No, uh, I I. I actually think the Rings of Saturn or the Brutalizer is one of my favorite submission moves because it traps like both arms whilst applying sort of like a cross face hold on it. It it looks really, really effective, even more so than maybe the cross face, the bank statement, or even the yes lock to an extent. It's And it's a new approach for Finn because he doesn't normally win matches by submission. So I think this was a good way to finish and it focused the attention on what was already Kyle's injured jaw. So I mean, I'm not sure if it was as exhilarating as their first one, but... Uh, you know, again, very, very solid match. You know, obviously playing off on, you know, their their past singles encounter. Kyle obviously getting consoled by the Undisputed Era. And I think Balor got busted open at some point and was nursing a bit of an arm injury himself. So it's uh, it's, it's just like when these two get together, they just literally batter lumps out of each other and they both walk away with a few bruises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like submissions that involve like, using, like, taking out both of the arms. Basically, if it's a heel using it, because occasionally that means that the person in the move has to verbally submit, which if it's a heel doing it to a face, it's kind of the ultimate form of like humiliation. Like, Diana Perazzo does a double version of the uh, Fujiwara armbar and Impact, which she calls the Venus de Milo, uh, which is quite cool. And Grant, we saw it like when... <laughs> oh, I, saw, get that ref- I get that reference because the Venus de Milo statues get no arms. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we saw it in J- New Japan when uh, Ishimori did the yes lock on Hiromu and he basically took out both his arms and uh, basically forced Hiromu to verbally submit so it can be effective. Uh, it can it can definitely be effective. Um, like O'Reilly and, ba- and Balor, they, I, I'm going to call it here right now, Balor's coup de grace finisher is an absolute pile of shit. It is awful. I can't imagine that someone's going to get a pin for that. Sorry, just doesn't do it for me. The 1916, though, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the submission that he used was brilliant, but 
my concern about these two is they both put in like both matches were out absolutely outstanding. I do believe the second one isn't going to hold up the test of time the same as the first one. But both times after it, it gets reported about them having to go to the hospital after it, and you got to think, are they crossing the line? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, you're saying like it's like you see in the case like we talked about with Naito and Ibushi on the on East Meets West guy, like you like seeing the matches together, but just like you don't want to see them too often because you're worried about their health. <laughs> That's it. to me. Like sometimes I look at them, like I, I, I don't give it. I absolutely love these two matches. Like the the two of them have absolutely insane chemistry. But if, if like if you think the way they do things in like say Japan, you have very hit hard hitting matches, but you don't end up in the hospital after it every time because it puts in jeopardy. What's going to happen is Balor going to keep doing these matches constantly in the hospital as, as an excuse to like pretty much keep the belt off the telly for like a few weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. It's well, I've got my concerns about there, but yeah, I, I, I love watching them. Glad it. And uh, I mentioned we've got another takeover coming up. It's going to be on the 14th of February. It's going to be on Valentine's Day. And um, it scares me hoping it's going to be the subtitle NXT Takeover St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Because, you know, we haven't had that preview of that tale since 1999. And so that'll be a fitting name. And you know, I think Bell's going to read it on the, that show defending the tale since it wasn't on War Games. I think given he was in the crowd this week, uh, Pete Dunn is the best candidate for his next challenger. I don't know about you guys. Mm. Well, I, th- I think it's either going to be Pete Dunn or if they're going to pull the trigger on Cross again, it could be or it could obviously be him. But it wouldn't surprise me if they were saving Cross for the WrestleMania takeover. But I think now that you've mentioned it, Scott, I think Pete Dunn seems more likely at this stage. Because mm-hmm. I don't think uh, Bertrand or could get hold on to the tie belts uh, much longer. I believe they'll probably drop them to whoever wins the Dusty Cup. And so it's like you need to keep them, like, if they're going to stay together as a team, you need to keep them strong in some way. So and even if Dunn doesn't win the match, he puts in a hell of an effort. Like, still mm-hmm. gets people talking. It keeps them as a credible threat because I don't think Pat McAfee's going to be a regular feature since it, he hasn't been seen since War Games. Oh, he, Pat McAfee got his ass kicked at War Games. I think that's, uh, that pushes him back to just being a podcast host again. Very much, but... Talking about the Dusty Cup, we have uh, 16 teams confirmed for this tournament. And we have Adam Cole and Roderick Strong representing Undisputed Air this time, taking on Breeze Angle. That's going to happen next week. And the winner of that is going to face the. We've got uh, Tony Nice and Ari Tavari taking on Adonis and Troy. Don't know who they are. I think it's again a, another 2 of 5 matchup there. We've got The Way, Johnny Gargano and Austin C taking on Kushida and Leon Ruff. And uh, another match that's happening this week on NXT, Ever Rise, taking on the Grizzled Young Vets. We also have the Legado del Fantasma taking on the Bollywood Boys or the Sing Brothers. We have the Lucha Party taking on Imperium, uh, August Grey and Kurt Stallion. There are a couple of guys from uh, a brought in around at the time Evolve got purchased by WWE. They've kind of been like, stuck on 205 Live, taking on Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. And the final matchup is quite interesting because we've got Isaiah, Swerve Scott and Jake Atlas taking on uh, basically two blanks here. It says MSK, the team yet to be announced. The team thought to be revealed as the Rascals, uh, Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz, formerly of Impact Wrestling. And I'd probably have to see them in the tournament. Because, uh, like, you know, they've done this to debut teams in the past. You know, Gargano and Champa debuted in the first ever Dusty Classic. And I remember before I seen this graphic and heard the rumours about them coming in, I was like, what the hell is with all these random 205 Live tag teams being in here? 
you just you just signed a good tag team from Impact. Why are they not in the tournament? And then I seen this. Mm-hmm. But I assume either the finals of this will be at Takeover in February, or the winners will like have a up to the go home show, and then the winners will face Larkin and Birch at Takeover. But what are you guys thinking of this? Also, there are a lot of Tony teams, but do you guys have as uh, your early favourites? I'll start with you, Dave. To be honest, I know this is going to be a bit left field, but I think I can actually see Drake Maverick and Killian Dane winning this. Largely because, you know, they've got that sort of odd couple tag team vibe about them. And, you know, they've been sort of going back and forth with each other doing, you know, the comedy skits. And I think they've just started to gel finally as a tag team. And it would not surprise me if they were the ones to dethrone Larkin and Birch, because I think, you know, because they're both heels now. And Damo and Drake are more like a, a face tag team. It would, I think it makes sense for them to be the ones to to dethrone them before, you know, say somebody like Grizzled Young Vets beats them at a later stage. So, yeah, my outside bet for winning this tournament is going to be Damo and Drake Maverick. That is a, a decent bet. You know, they were attacked by Lorcan and Burchett when their new faction we'd done and Pat McAfee formed. So they've got the history there. And mm-hmm. the idea, obviously, more, more than likely in the semis, their most likely opponent to get that far would be Imperium. The idea of this like odd couple beating this like serious tag team, and then if they got a, in the finals against a heel team like Grizzled Young Vets, you know they could tell a really good like underdog story. And I know they haven't been a tag team as much as these other teams, but you look actually at the history of the Dusty Classic. More often than not, it's a team that's like only just team together that win it. You know, you had Ballard, Joe, you know, a uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole won it one year. Uh, you had Ricochet and Alistair Black. The only actual team that won that was the AOP in the history of it, and AOP aren't even around anymore in WWE. So it's the sort of four actual times for the odd couples. Mm-hmm. Really yeah, think? and obviously the Broserweights won last year as well, which who actually became one of the most entertaining tag teams the entire year, and they dethroned Undisputed Era as a result. Yeah, yeah I knew I was missing a team. I thought 2020 was the one in 2020, like, that before or after the pandemic, I couldn't think. Mm. So I, yeah, I, it was just before. It was just before because they won it at Takeover Portland, which was in February. Well, it's not even a year ago, Jesus. Mm. But Greg, I'll come over to you. What do you think is uh, more likely to win this? Uh, I'd say Grizzled Young Veterans. Mm. Yeah, so I was. Yeah, see, I thought maybe Grizzled Young Vets and Undisputed Era would be in the finals, but they end up on the same side of the bracket, so maybe they'll come out, come in the semis together. Uh, but I could also see Imperium getting as far as the semi-finals. So, mm. well, yeah, well, and you know, with MSK as well, I don't think they'll go as far as you know the the semis because obviously, you know, last year you had Kushida and Alex uh, Alex Shelley as the time splitters. They went out to Grizzle Jung Vets in the first round. So it's just because the new tag teams arrived doesn't mean they're going to get pushed to the moon straight away. They they could get a win over Swerve Scott and Jake Atlas to you know mm. give them a bit of credibility, but. You know, they've, they've got to start somewhere. The Time Splitters is a new team. The Time Splitters is an all time classic team. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? Well, you know what I meant. Yeah, it's like, but they, it's their debut in NXT. And I was going to say about MSK, if it is the Rascals, I'd be interested to see how far they get, given obviously that they that would have been just their debut and how far they would get. I imagine they'd win their first round match, probably, but I don't think they'd get far this, by the second round. Especially if it's against Maverick and Dean, if they are going to end up winning it. But that's not the only Dusty Classic we're going to have this year. We're going to have a second one. They keep saying later in the year. So my guess is either just before or just after Mania, 
a all women's Dusty Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, no word on how many teams are with their bracket. Will look like obviously it's a bit too early, but obviously off the bat you can think maybe Shotzi and Ember is a notable team. You got Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, and you've got Dakota and Raquel Gonzalez, mm-hmm. and obviously the winner would likely get a shot at the women's tag titles as they can go to all brands. And it's been a while Aye. since they've been featured on NXT. You've also got uh, you've also got like uh, Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro who've been teaming for quite a bit now. I think they'd be a, a safe bet to put in this tournament. Yeah, and also the rumours that this woman behind the the cloak is going to be revealed to be uh, Karen Q or Miko Satamura. So team, whoever it is, we team them up with uh, with Zaya Lee as part of the uh, the classic. And if they lose, then like Zaya Lee gets the pin. Then you have this woman who's basically our new like dark mentor basically take out on her and beat her after the match like you failed and continue that story mm-hmm. you know, going forward and I do think you need to take some time for whenever it's going to be happen and just like feature some new women and build some new teams just so it's not just as thrown together when the actual happens because you've got Tony Storm on the still on the roster but who the hell do you team Tony Storm up with? Uh, yeah, it's hard to say really because Tony Storm seems more like a a single star at this stage. Yeah, and also like maybe I could see some UK women coming over, but I don't know how possible that really is. No, I, I think at this stage, if the pandemic's still looming, it's travel's going to be limited. But if they were going to, maybe they might bring somebody from Raw and SmackDown, like you know they'll bring the Riot Squad in to to fill the gaps, or they could bring in Mandy and Dana if they wanted. Maybe. They could show up on Wednesdays and David, David Campbell could go, it's Dana. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's a fair to say, like, as Regal mentioned when they announced it, that I think it just speaks to like, the strength of the women's division. We were talking about it earlier on with uh, Gonzalez and Martinez, but it does show how strong the, uh, the XT women's division is that they're trying to get, like, give them tournaments centred around them. Yeah, it's definitely giving them a, a chance to kind of show them show themselves and you know, just do what they do, do what they do best, really. Yeah, definitely. And I think that finishes the NXT portion of the show. And talking about doing a, doing a good uh, talk about a good women's division, let's do some balance, I guess. Let's go over to AEW, because they know about how they pick a women's division, don't they? Oh, yeah, I, totally. I, I joke, of course. Although, do I? Because uh, we had a, a women's sale match. We had Ricardo Shida taking on uh, Sue Young, I mean, uh, Abaddon. For the title, it went like, I'd say, 10 minutes maybe. Uh, a lot of it was centered around the fact that Abaddon kept trying to bite Shida and kept dragging her under the ring and just got a big big shot of the giant banners advertising that show that Cody's on with Snoop Dogg. And then eventually Shida won uh, quite easily, I think. Uh, Grant, I'll go to you. What's your thoughts on Abaddon? I haven't really. I've seen her occasionally on Dark, and then suddenly she keeps in. I like a Carol Shida, but she's not a good actress because they try and make her seem like she's scared of Abaddon, but she didn't do the most convincing acting job. I don't think. To me, they were re- they were they were kind of like fighting against time. They didn't get enough time, and the story itself didn't get enough time to build before it either. Um, Abaddon's character, her appearance, I absolutely love it. Um, because it is just completely fucking terrifying looking. But to me, they just, they kind of rushed it in. They like, what was it like, not even, barely even a month of like, Abaddon pretty much scared the shit out of Ishida and then they have the match. I was like, where's the build? Where's the character work? It's 
this mm-hmm. is their problem. This is the problem in the women's division. They have some fantastic talents, but they are not giving them the time to build stories on the main show. Yeah. Because, uh, like, you're building as a supernatural character of the division. Like, she took a candlestick shot and then got, like, right back up. And then she loses, like, I know the building shows, like, New Year's Smash is kind of, like, small like, versions of pay-per-views on an episode of Dynamite. But, like, still, you I thought you'd have drawn this out a bit longer. And, like, it just kind of started to make Abaddon look a bit weaker. I thought, uh, I don't know what you think about this, Dave, because, like, Dean should have tried to be scared of Abaddon just maybe back to when Seth Rollins was trying to be, pretend to be scared of the Fiend. Oh, Abaddon is probably the most frightening-looking character I've seen since The Fiend, and it's... Ugh, she actually legit looks like a genuine zombie. It's, it's it's scary just to even look at, even on the promotional posters and stuff, but uh, it, it's kind of hard to say what they were going to do, because obviously, as Grant said, you know, time constraints let them down. I, I think at some point, Abaddon's going to be the one to dethrone Shida, because she's that she's got that captivating presence and it's not like uh it, it sort of goes back to the argument you know when women's wrestling you know it was all about just like looks and you know how well do you look in you know whether it's a bikini or an evening gown or whatever and stuff but though no, this is this completely turns it on its head this is like a genuinely scary looking competitor and it's uh it's definitely one that I would like to see hold the title, like in the same way, you know, Finn Balor dresses the demon would handle the championship. Mm-hmm. I just look at the women's division. I think like you've got Anna Jay there. You've got Brett Baker and the way that they portrayed Abaddon in this week's time, I just didn't think that her any favors and made her feel like, you know, I don't think maybe she was ready yet for this match against you. I get what they were going for. I just don't think she was quite in that position just yet. Cause a lot of our wins before this did kind of come on dark. Mm. But, you know, it wasn't all, like, I'm not going to show on everything on AEW uh, New Year's Smash because we had some good stuff as well. We had, a, we had like, a horse fight between Wardlow and Jake Hager. And, you know, we've seen matches like uh, Cobb and Shingo, like, guys, lads who just bat each other. And this was definitely, like, a two-men slapping meat style fight between Hager and Wardlow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was a nice big slam of a match, and you know what? <laughs> I'm going to say Hager's character. Yes, he is boring as all life dying, but the man can actually wrestle. He can actually like he's a proper MMA fighter, and you know anyone that tries to discredit him wrestling, well, I'm sorry, but you need to fucking get your eyes glued on. But yeah, this match made Wardlow look absolutely stellar. He is he's got a big potential about him. I like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like we know, like Hager's background, know MMA. He's a former WWE World Champion, ECW Champion. Uh, but Wardlow, I think it was about getting him over, and he needed to look good, and he looked amazing as he was throwing Hager about. He managed to get him up for that F10 movie. That uh, I think it's fair to say this was kind of a star-making moment for for Wardlow, perhaps. Yeah, I'm very optimistic with what they do with Wardlow. He's obviously, you know, he's got the size about him. He's got that commanding presence. And, you know, he can actually do very well in the ring. Like, mind his first match in AEW was against Cody in the cage match. And it's still one of the most memorable matches I've seen in AEW. So I've I've got no worries that they're going to do, do justice for Wardlow's booking. 
And I just hope in some aspects he's able to break away from MJF rather than just be his heavy. Because uh, he, he could easily stand alone as a single star, possibly even be TNT champion somewhere down the line. So yeah, I'll, I'll not hold my breath, but I'm very optimistic about Wardlow's future. I mean, looking at the way like, they were all kind of giving respect, like, it was the idea of them kind of getting this frustration out in the ring and then now they can just move on and be a team again. In a way, Eager and like the other guys were kind of warming seemingly to Wardlow and MJF after the match. That, to me, thinks that this is going to be a, another long-term story that of MJF now earning the trust of everybody in the inner circle before ultimately basically getting tr- uh, Chris Jericho kicked out of the group at some point. You know, <laughs> they've got that segment next week, the uh, inner circle's New Year's resolutions. I wonder what that's going to entail, but we'll, we'll wait and see. We've got, we also had on the show an eight-man tag, uh, basically kind of a spot fest, it felt like, with uh, SCU and the Unbox defeating the Acclaimed and the Hybrid 2. And we had Cody Rhodes with Snoop Dogg defeating Matt Seidel in what was basically an advert for, by the way, tomorrow night, Cody's on a show, it's got Snoop Dogg in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a match, but I don't have much to say about it, but I think what everyone was talking about from this show was the main event. You know, we had Kenny Omega versus Phoenix, and I know Star Range we've talked about in the past is seemingly subjective, but like there are quite a few matches rated five stars or above on Wrestle Kingdom across both nights. Me and Grant will talk about that on Sunday, Sea Meets West. But uh, I think Kenny Omega seemed that Uncle D was handing the stars and felt a bit left out, and he saved a foot on a hill of a, a clinic because apparently Phoenix versus Kenny Omega has also been given five stars by Uncle Dave and I know it's just a and it's just a subjective thing but uh, I'll get you guys opinion. do you think this match deserved five stars I'll start with you Dave oh, Meltzer will give anything that's AEW related that involves any from any guys from New Japan or you know sort of indie promotions if they do his style of wrestling he'll give it five stars it's but you know that's his you know again that's his subjective uh, point of view uh, maybe some other people won't see it that way but, I mean, it's not to say, you know, that AEW doesn't put on good matches, because they do all the time. But are they five-star classics every single week? No, not at all. But this one definitely gets at least four stars, I'd say. Hey, Grant, your opinion? Absolute five-star match, without a doubt. Every time those two come into the ring with each other, it is absolute beauty. I still remember when Omega got the Triple H championship from Phoenix, and I lost my shit watching that. Yeah, and also there was a decent amount of history here. It wasn't just like going together for this week's episode of uh, of Dynamite. You had also the match with in Triple A. You had the fact that Phoenix was meant to fight Kenny Omega in that number one contenders tournament before having been forced to give his title shot to Pentagon because of injury. And you had Pac, you know, quite gracious for someone called the Bastard basically coming out when it looks like he's going to challenge Kenny. Basically, said, like you have unfinished business. Your next challenger is going to be Phoenix, and I think. It was bare minimum, you could give this match just four, four and a half stars. Like, uh, maybe it's a five star match. I don't want to say definitely it is, but I can definitely see why this was given. Because, like, in other weeks with different matches, I probably would have said more about what you said, Dave. But looking at what they did in this match, you know, JR doesn't always sound that enthused. And sometimes he, he, he openly hear him complain about guys doing too much in matches. But even JR was kind of gripped with a lot of the big spots they were pulling out here because. Even though Phoenix lost, he gave Kenny like everything, and then it was only when it ended with that move that basically no one is yet is yet to kick out of. 
that he managed to get the win. So it was a decent story within the match, even if Felix was like got his shoulder up a bit too early and it looked like he definitely did kick out. Mm. I always find the commentary, you know, assists with these kind of matches, and I've noticed that JR's, you know, been a lot quieter on commentary lately. Particularly when Sting first showed up, it wasn't. You never had that enthusiastic JR that you had back in the day where you was like, you know, maybe Stone Cold, Stone Cold. You know, it, there was, that enthusiasm just wasn't there anymore. And I think that's what kind of puts me off a lot of AEW when JR's on commentary nowadays because, you know, he's like, he's in his late 60s now and I always find commentary definitely helps with AEW matches. You know, it gives it that much added atmosphere, which is why NXT matches were so good when Mauro was at the helm. But, you know, you, it, talking purely from inner and ring perspective, yeah, Omega and Phoenix did tear it up, absolutely. And, you know, I think Grant uh, is is well within his rights to give him five-star matches because there are many aspects of it that it deserved it. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing to remember with the five stars to me as well is you had Moxley's promo in, earlier in the night, which we didn't really talk about there, but that promo was absolutely incredible, where he promised not to interfere in the match. He did wait until afterwards, and <laughs> after match, the good brothers as well. That to me just puts the cherry on the top to make it the full five. Because mm-hmm. usually when you have a, like a big post-match angle, yeah, people can be forgiven for forget about the match that preceded it. I don't think people really would be forget about this match because like they were calling it like God, we're less than a week into the year. We've already got a match of the year candidate here, and I definitely do think this would they got to do something spectacular to get people to not be talking about this for match of the year at least as a discussion as a candidate towards the end of the year. Uh, but yeah, you had Moxley basically like I want to get my hands on Kenny Omega but like I carried that championship for most of the year and I tried to make it something with a lineage and with prestige and I cared too much about it to ruin another man's opportunity at it so I'll let Phoenix have his opportunity but after the match Kenny Omega's mind whether he's the champion or not and now he brought out the barbed wire bow which reminded me of like their their lights out match from 2019 and then as you said yeah the good brothers showed up wearing the Impact Tag Team titles shouldn't be forgotten and then you had the segment with uh, the with the Bucks kind of, and everybody did the two sweet at the end leading to a lot of intrigue what's going to happen next week you know this could create some intrigue like this baby opens the door are the Bucks going to show up alongside Kenny and the Good Brothers at Hard to Kill not likely but it could happen you know I think that's what they want us to think I like the fact that it also confirmed there is going to be a six man tag match with the the elite, but we uh, the well they mentioned about that um, on the post sort of like like post show little interview segment on on it online, um, but we mm-hmm. don't know who they're going up against. So the bands are going to be back together. Yeah, so you know, I heard that rumors that one of the Bucks was injured and that they hadn't actually the match wasn't going to go ahead. But you know, we'll, we'll have to wait till tonight and see what happens if the match actually goes ahead. But uh, Dave, your opinion of uh, what do you think of the Good Brothers showing up, obviously, as and still as Impact Tag Champs coming uh, into AEW? They're certainly making the most of this AEW Impact partnership. That's uh, that's for certain. And you know, they did the two sweet in the ring with Omega and the Bucks. You know, it was like a Bullet Club uh, style reunion. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure is that the Bullet Club now featured in like New Japan, AEW, Impact, and well, to a lesser extent. WWE, basically, yeah. That's yeah, that's mental. It's like, does that solidify Bullet Club as like wrestling's greatest faction now that they've sub appeared in one incarnation or another across all the promotions? Yeah, like NWO, but because you had like a separate faction for like the 
different, different factions in the US. I think you had the one in Japan. But now, yeah, like you said, almost every major promotion has featured some form of Bullet Club. And like the idea of like, oh, but you're not actually with the Bullet Club that's in Japan. But like, is K Omega and the Good Brothers? Like, well, we said Bullet Club for life, and we meant for life. And mm-hmm. even though Tamatonga has been on Twitter, basically calling them a bit like Bullet Club mm-hmm. <laughs> on Twitter, I do really want like more Impact guys to show up. I want like the Machine Guns to show up or oh. the Bucks Clay, the Bucks Clay Impact, and have a face off with the Machine Guns. Can remind you of like those matches they had back in the day when the Bucks were still uh, Generation Me. See this yeah. this this partnership is just elevating both companies up, you know, to sort of try and stay on top of like WWE and NXT because WWE is obviously, you know, the, the number one wrestling company in the world, but all the better wrestling seems to be happening on the, on these slightly smaller promotions. So AEW and impact building each other up. It, I think it just puts them in even stronger contention with WWE. Yeah. We'll talk a bit more about impact because they do have a view this Sunday, Saturday. I'll uh, uh, mention it briefly towards the end, but I do know people who wouldn't really think about watching an Impact pay-per-view that are planning on watching it, mainly because of what's happening with Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers and the the big six-man main event. So it's definitely getting some eyes on both promotions. But New Year's uh, Smash is a two-week thing, and tonight, at time recording, will be night two of New Year's Smash. I'm going to briefly mention the card here. We have uh, Darby Allin is going to be main event in the show against Brian Cage for the TNT title, the first time we're going to see the, the him defend the title, and he's got the new black strap, the design uh, of the TNT title. We're going to have FTR taking on Jungle Boy Marco Stunt. Uh, Serena Deep is going to defend the NW Women's Championship against Ty Conte. Pac is going to take on Eddie Kingston. We're going to have Chuck Taylor versus Miro. And like you said, the still listed here, Elite versus TBA. So it looks like something is still going to happen with the Elite on this show. Uh, the Ty Conte match is happening apparently because uh, Thunder Rosa versus Burt Baker was advertised, but Thunder Rosa came into contact with someone who uh, tested positive for COVID-19, so he's taking precautions and is isolating, and Burt Baker is apparently instead going to host one of our waiting room segments that she's been doing on Dark, but she's going to do it on Dynamite with uh, Cody Rhodes, so she's still going to be featured on the show, and we still get a wins match, and I'm quite looking forward to that because, you know, in the past when the NWA Women's title has been featured, it's uh, been really a hit standout match. You know, we're out showing the AEW Women's title back at full gear. But looking at look, from that card that I've read it to you guys, what match out of those are you most looking forward to for night two? Ooh, that's a uh, that's a hard one to say. Uh, probably, pa- I'd like to say Pack versus Eddie Kingston. Yeah, I, 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 it feels like feels weird that uh, we're finally getting this now because I think it was like just over a month ago he came back, but they had to go back to the UK over Christmas and then mm-hmm. Lance Archer stepped in his position. But now uh, we're finally getting this match. Yeah, I know the, the Death Triangle sort of reunited and then obviously Eddie Kingston's got Butcher and Blade to back him up. So there's a an essence of faction warfare uh, to go between these guys or the mm-hmm. potential for it at least. But yeah, it's you know it's been far too long since we've seen Pac because he spent eight months in away from AEW because of the pandemic, no no fault of his own. I'll, I'll just be happy to see him back because he's in the in AEW's first year he was one of the standout performers uh, alongside like Moxley, Omega, MJF, and Jericho. Yeah, I said a lot at the time when he first like had to go away during the pandemic that when Death Triangle reformed, I definitely think he was on the 
discussed of being like put in the uh, contention for the the world title. I think he was second in the rankings. He was very close to being number one. And then I think part of that is why Brody Lee got the title shot as early as he did because he needs someone for Moxley. And I really thought had the pandemic not happened at Double or Nothing, that would have been packing that position instead of Brody mm-hmm. Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant, what do you think of the matches I've read out? What match are you most looking forward to? I was trying to say it, but I think you've heard me because I shouted Kingston. Oh, do you? Uh, we didn't, didn't quite hear you, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, the TNT title match, again, talking about long phases, technically been building since Double or Nothing, when uh, Brian Cage came in, he took out Darby Allen and Taz has been forming this uh, new team, Taz with Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and he, his son Hook, who I once said to a pal of mine, looks like if Dominic Mysterio was from the darkest timeline from Community, that's what Hook looks like. Uh, Tess's son, I, I thought it was funny. But, because uh, he does actually look, look at a photo of Dominic Mysterio and uh, Tess's kids side by side, there's a bit of a resemblance. But I think with the, uh, I'll be happy to see this Team Tess thing end, and also we know that Sting is somehow going to get involved because it feels like the last few weeks that's what happened. So somebody, Tess's, Team Taz has an issue with Darby Allen. Lights go off, it snows, but by the time Sting slowly walks to the ring, Team Taz bugger off. <laughs> also, like we know it's not real snow, but don't show the actual machines producing the snow during Sting's entrance because you're just taking away what mystique there actually was. Uh, just a wee bit. Yeah, <laughs> I've got with that. And the, the NWO would say, you know, Deep. I think when you think about it, 3 Deep was a trainer at the performance there, and she would have been there, I think, when Ty Conte was there. So mm-hmm. you got to they actually know each other going back there. So I'm actually looking forward to it because I don't really, I was, I'm not really giving much of uh, Ty Conte much of a chance when I've watched her in the past. I'm sure she's good, but I didn't really care for her in WWE. But I think her way, 3 Deep in there, she, this is actually going to be our best match to date. Honestly, I think the NWA women's title is getting defended more frequently on AEW than the, the actual AEW women's title. It's I don't know if maybe that's just me being pedantic, but it's, it definitely feels like they're putting more attention on that title than they are with the other one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's been defended more. I just think it's getting better matches out of it recently than the, the current AEW women's title, you know? Uh, probably. I think, that's the, I think that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The Chuck Taylor Miro thing, I would be looking forward to, like, although there's this, uh, there's this weird stipulation added where basically Chuck Taylor has to be Miro's young boy until after Saban and Penelope before his wedding because apparently need Chuck Taylor to do something until uh, until Trent gets back from injury. Uh, I have a feeling that he, he might end up losing and being his young boy. And uh, But as you know, that means big shenanigans at the wedding because we can have a wrestling wedding without some shenanigans. <laughs> uh, apparently, the beach break is going to be, there's going to be a special episode of Dynamic called Beach Break on the 3rd of February and that's where the uh, the wedding is going to take place. So I think that's going to happen and then maybe Trent's going to come back in or Orange Cassidy and the best friends are going to cause some shenanigans at Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford's wedding, maybe. But, I think that's all from AEW, and I'll close out the show talking about Impact, because this Saturday they have Hard to Kill with the main event of the Good Brothers, and KMA are taking on Impact World Champion Rick Swan and uh, the Morrissey Machine Guns. We have the return of the Knockout Titan titles. They've been teasing this since the summer, where they started actually putting women together in proper tie teams. 
And now we have the finals that we have Kier Hogan, Tasha Seal taking on Havoc and Nevea in the tournament final. And one of the other featured matches on the show is Sammy Callahan versus Eddie Edwards in a barbed wire massacre match. If you've not seen previous versions of that barbed wire massacre, it's basically they're also taken away and replaced with barbed wire. That's what you can expect. Oh, is that what that is? Just the ropes are replaced with barbed wire? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I think ICW's done its own version of that, but also I think you've seen it a few times in ECW as well. Yeah, there was a... I mean, back in like 2005, there was a version with a six-stage ring and all the ropes were replaced with barbed wire. It was Abyss versus Sabu. Mm. Uh, also, there is one in 2017, I think it was Sammy Callahan, OVE versus LAX and Homicide. And a match that was uh, billed as so violent they booted to Twitch and not TV. So it's been a while since that. And given Sammy Callahan's background, he seems like the right kind of match. And also, we're going to have a cinematic match where Ethan Page is taking on his own alter ego, the Karate Man. So he's basically wrestling himself. Say that what you want. <laughs> well, I'm getting flashbacks of uh, Undertaker versus Undertaker at SummerSlam 94. I don't imagine this is going to go down too well. I mean, it's going to be a cinematic match, so maybe they can actually do better than what they did with Undertaker versus Undertaker. But uh, I said that this was getting a lot of attention with the Impact uh, AEW partnership. Are you guys going to be checking out Hard to Kill with those days, given the fact that Omega's main event in the show? Uh, yeah, I imagine you will be, granted. Because uh, obviously you're a big fan of New Japan and Kenny Omega and... So I think if we want any insight from it, I think you'd be the one to turn to. But I think a lot of people who haven't really checked it but you know, they some people were kind of underwhelmed by like Kenny's appearance when he appeared on the bus, like uh, after he won the title. Because I think the thing with Impact is they built up a lot of goodwill going into Slammiversary. You know, the tease of like former WWE guys showing up. But I don't think enough people stuck with them after Slammiversary, and so I think they're getting some new people back. So I think this is good for Impact every now and then. Getting some buzz with our paper, getting everybody to tune in, hopefully stick around to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. I think it's also helps build heel heat for Kenny as well. You know, he's just sort of lazing about in the back of the bus rather than, you know, getting in the ring and, you know, making, well, for lack of a better word, an impact. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think it still opens the door, like you said, for the Bucks or somebody else to show up because I don't know if you've seen the impact. E, Tony Khan and uh, Tony Shavon have been peering and like paid adverts basically telling like oh by the way remember AEW Dynamite tomorrow night and basically talking about you know can it, if I wanted I could file injunction and keep Kenny off of this show or I could buy Impact Wrestling if I wanted to you know kind of <laughs> almost given like you know it's like Tony Khan hasn't been involved as like a man but given Tony Khan like the chance to flex his muscles as an, as an actual on-screen character yeah it's quite funny that they've done that like it keeps me entertained it's quite light-hearted the way it's done yeah, definitely. Uh, he's not quite he's not in quite full Vincent Man, but you know, he he seemed having fun with it. Like there was a moment uh, we watched on a recent impact where uh Tony Shawai seemed to be caught off guard and openly laughing at a line that he said he said, like, you know, I'll maybe come back next week and have another pay dad, you know. My grandmother gave me a hundred dollars and a Christmas card, so I've got some spare money lying around. <laughs> and he keeps all like oh, this holiday season I'm helping the list fortunate by having this new pay dad on Impact Wrestling T V uh, like Tony Savai said, like, we're going to have another advert on this week's episode, but Access said they couldn't break 100. <laughs> I like that, but like, I'm, a, I'm slightly annoyed that, like, like, nobody from Impact on TV is really responding to what's being said about them in these adverts. Like, nobody's 
it's like they're just saying, oh, Kenny Omega's here. Can you believe it? Kenny Omega, the AEW World Champion, is on our show, but they're not responding to what uh, the guys who are following up and basically having it openly flagging them are saying. I'd like there to be a bit more banter between the two companies. Aye. Plenty of opportunities there. Yeah. Which is also why I said I wanted to see some people from more more impact people other than the Good Brothers to show up on AEW, but, you know, you never know. We could even possibly record this before New Year's Smash and I wouldn't because some more people show up tonight. We never know. It'd be one last push to get see, see people here. Check out our pay-per-view this Saturday. Uh, you never know. But uh, that is all the news and all the time we have for this week. I thank everybody for tuning in and remember all good Android podcasts and dates for past episodes of Central for our feature shows, shows like SDL and East Meets West on Anchor, iTunes and Spotify. All good Android podcasts and dates, like I said. Uh, Twitter at Suplex uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Join our Facebook community page, get involved. You join our listeners league for our draft season. We started this week. Uh, we started that this season. And make sure you check out all past episodes of Central and keep up with us what's going on. But uh, I thank my panel for this week. Uh, thank you, Grant. Thank you very much. Like I said, new episode at East Beach Web dropping this Sunday. Uh, Thank you to David Hockney. I'll say me and him and Jack every Saturday uh, with Saturday Draft Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be sure to tune in for this coming Saturday. We'll uh, hopefully get a guest on this week. Yeah, we're planning on having a guest on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we haven't really done that this season, but that's all the time we have for this week. And we'll just say goodbye, everyone, and thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.